So today's uh, Easter Sunday. He is risen. Okay, so some of you have come from an. He is risen indeed is the expected response, but I didn't expect it. I just was testing you. And you did great, um, but it's, it's about the resurrection of Jesus, and I, I believe it is the most important event in human history, Amen. the most important thing that's ever happened. And it might surprise you that it has absolutely nothing to do with religion. What? Okay, so we'll talk about that. I mean, talking about uh, Easter and Jesus coming out of it, it, it pictures up, conjures up these pictures in our minds of, of tombs. And so here's a photograph of a, of a tomb. And this is a, a contemporary photograph. This is from the land of Israel. And you can see there's the fog line. It's right along a highway. This is not a tourist trap. It's just, it's just, one, uh, it's just a tomb. And you can see there's you know, weeds. And, and, uh, and if you would just mind leaving that up for a bit, because I'm going to talk about this. Um, and it's what's unusual about this tomb is that this one still has a stone in front of it. There are multiple tombs, tombs there, but this one still has a stone, and that's unusual because mostly over the last couple thousand years, people would steal the stone. It's a valuable thing, and uh, what you can't see from the photo is that the stone is sitting in a little channel, a little trough, and the channel rolls downhill towards the tomb, and then when it gets in place, there's a spot where the trough drops off, and, it, and, and the stone kind of sinks into a spot, so it seals up pretty well, and because... I would guess a stone like that probably weighs six or 8,000 pounds, or who knows? I mean, it's got to be a bunch. And it's downhill. It's pretty easy to put the tomb, the, 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 the stone, in place. But it's very difficult to get the thing out of there. Very difficult. They would use horses and, and hook up to it um, if they had to open one up. So seeing, seeing an actual tomb like this, I think, you know, since we don't have them around here, but it, it kind of changes our thinking a little bit. It, it, it helps us to take the resurrection story of Easter and move it from maybe a more of like the fairy tale kind of, oh, this is a story we hear, to no, it's actually something historical that actually happened. Something historical. So here it is along the roadside. Hand-hewn stones, there's weeds, there's a fog line, a tomb, and a stone. It reminds us that Easter is about something that actually happened. It's about an actual event. Easter, for us, we don't come to celebrate a teacher. We don't come to celebrate his teachings. We don't come to celebrate a religion or a philosophy. And maybe this is new news to you, but, but on Easter, we come to celebrate an event in history that actually happened. A man actually came out of a tomb who had been dead. It's an amazing thing. That means that Easter goes way beyond what traditional religions, there's really nothing religious in my mind about Easter at all. Now, maybe sometime if you, as you were growing up, you were in school and you took a class maybe on religion or world religions and, and you were taught that, you probably were taught that, that religions tend to spring up um, in this, there's a gap between things that are unexplainable but that actually are undeniable. Something actually happens and we don't know why so we'll explain it, and we'll create this religion to explain it. That's kind of like where they would spring up from. So the seasons would change, you know, spring, summer, fall. It's happening. We can see it. We don't know why. So a religion would explain that or try to, or, or the weather would change, and, um, and we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be sure. Or the crops would grow well, and then they would die, or they wouldn't. Or one year locusts would come and eat everything and ruin the crops, and other years they wouldn't. Why? Well, they would come up with an explanation 
for the unexplainable. It's undeniable that those locusts came, but why do they come? We just don't know. Unexplainable things would happen. And in that gap between the undeniable and the unexplainable, religions would spring up. Religions are born in an attempt to explain the unexplainable. And then, over time, science would kind of dismantle, in some cases, entire religions. You know, you mean, so, lightning doesn't mean that Zeus is angry. No, 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 it's just the difference in the charge of the particles at the bottom to the top, and it's got to get around there, blah, 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 technical nerd, nerd, nerd. No, there's, a, there's, there's an explanation to it. Oh, okay, Zeus isn't mad. This is, no, it's just the weather system. It's going to go away, and tomorrow it'll be sunny again. That's a dream. <laughs> and science begins to dismantle religion because religion is an attempt to explain the unexplainable. You know, we discovered germs. Oh, you mean she's not demon-possessed? No, 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 it's just a germ. No, you mean so we don't have to consult a witch doctor to cast a demon out of her, or there's not a small frog or toad living in her stomach? No, no, just a little bit of penicillin. She's going to be fine. Okay, she'll just be fine. And people would get sick. It's undeniable, but it was unexplainable. People want an answer. They want an answer to the unanswerable. What, what, what happens, especially this one, what happens when you die? People would like to know the answer to that question. And that unexplained area is fertile soil for religion to spring up. So religions pop up when we have these unanswered questions. And I think this is true. It's true for me. It's true for you. It's true, I think, for all of us, all people since the beginning of time. You know, we want answers. If your doctor tells you, 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 you know, nobody knows. There's, yeah, something's wrong with you, but nobody knows. That doesn't work you'll find a different doctor because you want to know why. It's just in us. And people will go to some crazy sources to get answers that they want to have answers to. I mean, sometimes they'll go to the goofiest places and the most ridiculous you know, places, even superstitions, because we gotta know. I gotta know. And some religious beliefs have popped up that are pretty goofy. And, um, you know, I mean... There are some, you don't have to look very far. You can see some people following some pretty goofy things. It's because we have this need to know, and it drives religion. But Easter is not about trying to explain the unexplainable or answer the unanswerable. Easter comes from the very first century where the Jews, who were not looking for explanations and answers, they already had explanations, they already had answers, Easter is not an attempt to answer a question or to explain the unexplainable. Easter is about something that happened, an event, which means Easter isn't religious at all. I really believe it isn't. Christianity wasn't birthed in, um, in a moment because of somebody's teachings. It was not a new answer to, to you know, people have been asking questions for generations. It wasn't... It wasn't, you know, because people decided to embrace a different explanation than the answers that they already had. There's none of that associated with the birth of Christianity. It was born the day that something happened in history. In a city that you can go visit today. (laughs) It's amazing. And the other thing that's so unusual, to me at least, about Easter and the resurrection is that there was, nobody was expecting there to be a resurrection, 
Okay, not even his followers. I mean, nobody was, was at the tomb going, 10, 9, 8, oh, yeah, there he is, you know. <laughs> nobody expected it. Even, even the stories written by his closest followers afterwards, they talk about it and they say they weren't expecting it. They were afraid for their lives. You know, Jesus died, they scattered, they lost their faith, they lost their hope. And seeing, a, you know, I, I look at a picture of a, of a tomb like that and, and, and that stone, I see it was not a casual endeavor to open up a tomb. Big old heavy thing. And it wasn't, you know, like a few women saying, hey, let's go down and crack the door open and, and go in there. I mean, and, and, when, and when the disciples later had heard that this had happened, they, they, they didn't believe them. You can read about that in Luke 24. And their reaction was, what? Huh? You know, they, it was incredulous. And they just weren't expecting it. They just were not expecting it. I mean, if they had been expecting it, you would have, been, you would have thought that they would have been ready for it they would have maybe even been marketing it. You could have got a T-shirt that said, you know, wise men still seek him or something else. There would be something going on. But they weren't expecting it. Even though Jesus had told them he would die and then raise himself up. By their own declaration, these guys didn't expect it and they lost their faith. In the Old Testament, there were a lot of Jews who basically held that, that, that death, you know, that's what they believed, that death was the end they would have been taught that, you know, that you're born, you're born, you live for a while, you die, you, you're gone. That's it. Nobody was expecting a resurrection, especially and including his closest followers. And when they saw that empty tomb, these guys still didn't really understand what happened until they actually saw Jesus, until he, he appeared to them. And then everything changed. These cowards, these guys who were afraid for their lives, who were hiding in their homes, trying to decide you know, what they were going to do, suddenly became bold, <laughs> courageous, bold spokespeople. And the message that they started sharing did not center. It did not center on the teachings of Jesus. It, it, didn't, it didn't center on his moral example. It didn't even center on the miracles of Jesus. It centered on the resurrection. It centered on the resurrection of Jesus. And they just would not shut up about it. That's, they just wouldn't shut up. And, and can I say shut up in church? Some people, you know, they just wouldn't. These guys would not clam up. They would not get off topic. And, and the reason why Christianity has you know, exploded out of the first century, the reason that we still, it's here today, isn't because of what Jesus taught. It's because three days after he was crucified, he got up out of the grave and rose. And the book of Acts talks all about those days afterwards. It's pretty amazing. And so we're going to look a little bit at the book of Acts. And you should listen to the amount of detail that's given here because this is not written like some you know, fairy tale in the by and by. I mean, this is written by people who were, were in the vicinity, right in the neighborhood, at the time that all this stuff happened. Okay, so we're going to pick this up in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. If you didn't bring your Bible, you're safe. I got one for you. It's on the wall. Just follow along. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Oh, yeah, sure. The gate Beautiful. I know that. I've been there lots of time. My family goes there for picnics. Okay, so this is a place that these people would know. Where, where he was put every day, this beggar was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. 
So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, anybody walking by and overhearing this conversation, when they heard the name Jesus of Nazareth, they knew exactly what they were talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I heard about that. The guy, he was crucified. There was a big storm that day. Everything got dark. I heard lots of thunder. Yeah, they knew what he was talking about. They knew what this, this conversation was because this is all going on. This conversation is, is happening within walking distance of where the crucifixion happened and the resurrection. So they're, they're, they're right there. Um, verse 7, taking him by the right hand, not just by the hand, but look at the detail, right hand, He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Verse 8, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Well, I guess so. Um, But this was a little unusual in their church service. They didn't have guys that were beggars out front that had been there for decades, hopping and jumping in the front row. So it created a bit of a fuss. Um, verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who had used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they're thinking, hey, we know this guy. Isn't that? Yeah, that's the guy. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Verse 11, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Columnade. Now, this is another detail here. I mean, this is a real place. This is as if the author is saying, hey, you can check this out. This is, these are places you can visit. Verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to them, crowd's gathering now, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Now, Peter reaches back to what they know as Jews since they were little boys and little girls. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. Now, this isn't something new. This, this is some new religion. You know, we're not trying to start something new here. This is the same God you know he's talking to them about. And Peter connects Jesus now to that same God that these people have been worshiping their whole life. And, 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 and now that he's introduced Jesus into his message, you know, I wonder what we might expect Peter to do with this captive audience he's got. You know, he, he said, you know, Jesus who taught us, love your neighbor, He could have done that, or he could have said, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, he could have done that too, but he doesn't do any of that. What's Peter do in this moment? He goes right to the event that is the make it or break it event for everything that they believe. And his foot hits that gas pedal, and he just about shoves his foot right through the floor. Okay, I love this. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And don't miss this last part. And we are witnesses. We saw it. Peter and John are saying, hey, we don't just simply believe something. We saw it. We aren't simply followers of Jesus. We, we saw his resurrection. We're not just believers of what he taught. We're not just moved by his moral example. We follow Jesus. We believe in Jesus because we saw him die. We visited the tomb and we saw him live again. He, he's risen from the dead. 
You know what we're about? We're about a risen Savior. I mean, these guys are just not going to go off topic here. They're pretty amped up. You think I'm amped up. They were probably going. And all this stuff that's going on here in this whole thing is happening within walking distance of Calvary. It's, it's like right in the neighborhood, right near the tomb. It's within, and it hap- this conversation is happening within days of when the events occurred. The same Peter and John who were cowering in fear, the same Peter who was afraid of a little girl, right at the resurrection, suddenly there's this new courage and boldness. And it's not centered around the personality of Jesus, this boldness they have. It's, 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 not, it's not even centered around Jesus' teachings. It's centered around the event that we celebrate on Easter. It's, it's, it's crazy. And they're not trying to explain the unexplainable or answer the unanswerable or start some new religion. They clearly tie him back to the religion that these people knew that God, God the God that the Jews have been worshiping. But, but something has happened. And whatever it was has changed everything. And here's what's happened. He rose from the dead. The story keeps going. Okay, Acts 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, those are the people who believe once you die, that's it. Okay, the Sadducees. Came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They didn't like that. Don't teach about the resurrection. They didn't believe in it. They wanted these disciples to be quiet about the resurrection. Hey, hey, you know, Jesus taught about taxes. Teach on that, you know. He taught about prayer. Do that, you know. Tell the story about where the, little, the boy leaves his house, but then he comes home. Do that one, you know. They want to get him, get these guys. But they, won't, they will not be led off topic here. That's not the point. The, the, the point here is the resurrection. Verse 3. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message, what message? The the resurrection is the message, okay. Many who heard the resurrection message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. And and this, this, this particular count, this is just the count of the men, which was a common way to count. So the number is actually bigger. 5,000 men plus women and children. Thousands and thousands of people present for the facts, witnesses to many, much of it, said, hey, he's the risen. He, this, this, he came out of the grave. You know why Christianity was catapulted out of the first century? Why it was, you know, why it came out of Palestine? It's, it's, it's not just because of the teachings of Jesus. It's because in Jerusalem, within walking distance of the events themselves, thousands of people including the people responsible for the conviction and the execution of Jesus. Thousands of people believed. There are other accounts that said many, many, many people, in one instance, over 500 people saw him alive after he died. And that's not just something that the Bible says. There are secular historians. You can look them up and find where these historians who are not Christians which I don't understand how they couldn't be, where they record the fact that Jesus was witnessed by hundreds of people after he rose from the grave. These people didn't believe because of Jesus' teachings. They believed because he actually rose from the dead. (laughs) And they witnessed it. And that day that Jesus was resurrected, he became their Messiah and their Savior. 
And that's so powerful because it does actually explain something unexplainable. It's got nothing to do with religion and everything to do with history. So here we are now, 2,000 years later, celebrating this event changed by the Spirit of God, not simply because Jesus came from God or because he was a wonderful teacher and he taught life-changing truth. Other people have taught life-changing truth. There's life-changing truth out there. But we're here because he rose from the dead. And here's the conclusion of the story. Verse 5. The next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Now, listen to the details here. It's as if the authors are saying, check this out, you know, because, in fact, the names that we're going to read now, you can, you can Google these names. These are real people. You couldn't Google them then. You can Google them now. <laughs> Verse 6. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? But, but when they say, by what power or name did you do this? They're talking about, you know, we, we want to know if the, when they heal the, the, the lame guy. They want to know, they're not asking about the resurrection. They're trying to change the topic. We want to know, was this healing of this lame guy, was it an appropriate miracle? Like, you know, you know, the, the, the disciples did this random act of kindness and they're being called on the carpet by these leaders. You know, whose power did you leverage to do this thing? They're, they're trying to, to change the subject and they're trying to find something. How did you pull this off? Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed. I'm glad you asked that question, they're thinking. Glad you asked that. In other words, if the focus of this conversation is a random act of kindness, and you want to know how we did this random act of kindness, and how you can get in on it, you know, if the whole conversation is about, if the reason that you stuck us in jail overnight is this random act of kindness, we'll be glad to explain it to you. Verse 10, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, by the way, you crucified. Have we covered that? You know, I mean, they're saying it. But whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. At the risk of their life, at the risk of their liberty and their reputation, they wouldn't stop talking about the resurrection and the wonderful things that means. Interesting that he wasn't talking about all the wonderful things he taught, but they were talking about the resurrection. And what's their point? Other than being something, you know, what's my point, I guess, is other than this just being something in history, you know, what's, what's your point? For those of you who um, get so frustrated with Christians because we're so narrow, because... When we pray publicly, we're just not content to pray in God's name, but we pray in Jesus' name, and that frustrates you. For those of you that think that Christians are just intolerant, and that's not our issue, but, or maybe you think that we're angry, and, and we're not. There are some angry people. There's always angry people, but they're not, they don't represent me, and they don't represent Christ. You know, but, but for those of you that are, that are frustrated, you think, why, can't you, why do you have to be so narrow? Why can't you just... Be more open-minded. Here's why. Verse 12. Salvation, they said, is found in no one else. But that's so narrow. I know, but we're not done yet. Hold on, Peter. 
Peter's going to keep going here. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He's saying, here's the deal. The reason we won't clam up about Jesus, the reason we won't clam up about the resurrection, the reason we keep bringing this up is because nobody else has ever done this before. You know, it's like they're saying, hey, if you can come up with a list of the other people who have predicted their death and that they would resurrect themselves and then they have pulled it off, bring their name on out here and we'll talk about it. Because nobody has ever done this before. And if you've got a list of names that have actually done that, then we've got some other ways to heaven we can talk about. But nobody else has done that. Muhammad didn't do it. Confucius didn't do it. None of the 20,000 Hindu gods. No, no one else has done this. And I want to, this is Terry speaking, I want to be careful about my eternity. I got one of those. And if I have decisions in that, if I have any power in it, I need to make good decisions. Because I'd like to resurrect. I mean, I'd like to know what happens after we die? I'd like to know that after I die and after my loved one die, I'll see them again. I would like some confidence in what I believe about God and heaven. And no one else ever brought that kind of confidence. No one else ever was able to predict their own death, their resurrection, and pull it off but Jesus. So consequently, there is no other name. No other name under heaven or on earth by which we can have the confidence in our relationship with God other than Jesus. He didn't just come to this earth just to shape our character. He came to prove his power through his death and his resurrection. And the reason Peter and John just can't stop talking about this is because he's one of a kind. He's in a category all by himself, Jesus is. There's no other name that brings with it the weight the gravity, the promise, and the assurance other than the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's why these guys who had been cowering with fear found this boldness to come into the very epicenter of Judaism at the time and say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Here's how this whole thing ends, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took Note that these men had been with Jesus. They were amazed because these guys were so bold and they had this courage. Here's the best part of this whole story. It is for me personally. I I believe it's the best part of the story for you too. Because the same invitation that Peter and John offered that crowd in the temple 2,000 years ago, the same invitation that 5,000 men heard and responded to by saying, we believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, and he rose from the dead. That very same invitation that's been extended over the last 2,000 years by missionaries and pastors and by fathers to their children and mothers to their children and, and um, that same invitation that's been given from a friend to a friend and from a boss to an employee and an employee to a... It, 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 it's because of this event, because of the resurrection that confirmed they didn't just simply have his life taken. But he gave it away and he laid it down. Not for his own sin, but for my sin, Terry's sin, and your sin. Anybody can make a religious 
declarations and write a book and make any claims they want. People can do that. And a lot have. And those claims and those books have led a lot of people astray. But only when somebody rises from the dead do they confirm they actually truly have power and authority over life and death. Life now, life after we die, and eternal life. So every Easter we end our service by doing the only thing that I think is appropriate that we can do, and that's give people who have never embraced the name of Jesus the opportunity who've never allowed their faith to wrap themselves around the one who does have authority over your death and your resurrection. Give them the opportunity to do that, to embrace life. Because we believe as exclusive and as narrow as this is, there's no other name under heaven by which a person can gain assurance of their relationship, of their connection to God. There's no other name under heaven by which you can can and by which you must be saved. So what I want to do is, is, as we close, I'm going to give you the opportunity to transfer your trust. And I'm not asking you to transfer your trust to me for certain. I'm not asking you to trust your, transfer your trust to a church. I'm asking you to transfer your trust from your goodness, your church attendance, you giving, you being nice, you doing good, your good intentions. I'm giving you the opportunity to say, I want to transfer all of my trust from all of that to one simple person, one simple name, and that's Jesus. So there's nothing religious about Easter. Easter is about an event that happened in this world so that the people who live in this world can have the opportunity for eternal life. Eternal life. It's the deal. We're here for just a whisper. Eternity is a very long time. It's a wonderful gift from God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, lead you in prayer. And if you're a Christian, you've prayed this before because you've made a declaration with your heart. You, you have. And so I'm going to pray it. And if, if you've never prayed this prayer before, if you've never opened your heart to the King, and while I was sharing this, something in your heart was clicking and you're thinking, you know, I really at some point got to get this straight with God. And there's a tussle going on in there. I got to get this sorted with God sometime. And you're thinking I can do it another time. Nobody knows what today holds. Tomorrow doesn't belong to anybody. That, that conversation going on in your heart, half of that conversation is the Holy Spirit speaking to you saying, come on, I love you. I love you. Come on. So I encourage you just to respond and say yes to the Spirit of God. So I'm going to pray this, and you can pray it out loud. Some people do that. You can pray it quietly. You can pray it in your heart. You can change the words to be more like you. I'm just going to lead the way here and um, encourage you to pray this. And if you do it quietly and you are opening your heart to the Lord, I encourage you sometime today, tell somebody. Because the scriptures say that everyone who believes in their heart that he came He died and he rose from the grave. Everyone who believes that and confesses with their mouth will be saved. And your name will be written into the Lamb's Book of Life and eternity, your eternity just changed directions. I encourage you to do that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I believe Jesus is your son. I believe when he died, he died for the sins of the world. I believe that includes me. He died for my sins. 
and I receive him as my Savior, Lord. I transfer all of my trust to him, all of my confidence to him. I'm no longer trusting in my background or my attendance or my prayers or or giving. I trust in Jesus alone to save me, to forgive me of my sins. Receive me, Lord, into your family. Thank you, God, for the assurance of your love for me is that it's forever. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 